guys today. Come into this one a little bit road weary, but how many of you know the Lord can give us strength? Amen. Uh, excited to be with you all. I, I think this is being live stream. Is that right? So let's welcome the online audience uh, one more time. And so glad you guys are a part of things as well. Believe God's word is for you today too. And so I don't know, uh, put on some pants and kind of listen up. How it is when you're watching online church. Well, uh, like he was saying, my name is Doug Reed, and uh, I, uh, among other things, I travel full time and I speak in conferences and churches uh, around the country. We do a lot of leadership conferences, men's conferences, marriage conferences, all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, um, among other things, I also am the teaching pastor at four uh, incredible churches, even though I don't live in all of those communities. So my average year is about 20 Sundays go to my partner churches or my, the churches I'm teaching pastor at, and about 20 of my weekends go to events like this one. I'm in new spots. And then about 10 weekends a year or 10 weeks a year, uh, we are overseas doing missions work. I own a nonprofit called Partnership International, and uh, what the Lord had spoke to us was he would give me influence as a speaker and as a writer, and that I needed to have a way to use that influence for those that don't have any influence. Uh, Proverbs 31.8 has become my life scripture. Uh, speak for those that can't speak for themselves and ensure justice for those that are being crushed. How many of you believe that if God gives you a voice, you need to use that voice for those that don't have one? Amen. And so the way we do that is through project-based missions. And in fact, I, I don't know where Pastor TJ went, but, but uh, I warn you, we become friends. We're going to end up in some weird spot in the world together uh, because that's what we use our influence for, not to get rebooked, but to go do something for those that can't help themselves. And so to give you an idea, in 2019, uh, our last normal year, how many uh, don't even know what normal is anymore, uh, uh, but our last normal year, we had uh, 19 missions teams. We did about a half a million dollars in building projects through those teams and uh, saw God just reach some really, really poor communities and uh, so thankful uh, for all that he does. Amen. Well, I, I, I want to dive right into the word, if that's all right, this morning. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn it to Luke chapter 15. I, I do greet you on behalf of my beautiful wife, Jeannie. She uh, travels with me about 70% of the time, but she's visiting her parents this weekend. And got three wonderful children, and you'll kind of get to know me through the message today. Uh, while you're turning there, I do want to mention uh, very quickly, I uh, would love for you to stop by my table in the back. Uh, you know, I already, you can tell this church, it feels like a family, and I, I, I'm a part of that family this Sunday. And uh, I would love to spend like 100 hours with every single one of you. And how many of you know that's physically impossible? Uh, and so after a while of doing this kind of work, I got tired of meeting broken people at my table and just only being able to have a short conversation with them. And so the word began to deal with me about becoming a writer. And I'm actually in the process of finishing my second book now. But my first book, I, I spent over a year writing this. It's called Divine Intentions, The Life You're Supposed to Live, The Person God Meant You to Be. And it's on what I call the four stages of restoration that every single Christian uh, needs to go through. Uh, how many of you believe that you can have a regenerated spirit at salvation, but you can still have a wounded soul? And, and uh, I have watched God heal me at the soul level, and I would love for you to experience that. And uh, so if you like my speaking, I think you'd like my writing even better. Uh, also, there's uh, this is the only service I'll be here with you. And so we still bring some audio material with us. 
Uh, this one called The Restored Life uh, is kind of my story of restoration. Uh, we've had, I don't know, probably 10,000 of these go out over the years. And uh, we're fixing to put these all on digital, and that would be about all that they would be available on. But I have some with me today. Uh, this, this one called The Healthy Life is our bestseller. deals with worry, depression, bitterness, insecurity. And if you can't afford anything, just see us, and we would love to bless you and bless your life. So. All right, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Uh, I, I grew up in the 80s. Did anybody else uh, grow up in the 80s? I think I'm good. Thank you so much. Did anybody else grow up in the 80s like, like I did? Uh, now, a couple of things about the 80s is that, uh, one, is that the fashion of the 80s, how many believe that that will never come back in Jesus' name, right? And I had it all going on. I had the parachute pants and the Michael Jackson jacket. Uh, sometimes I wore one glove just because I thought it was cool. And uh, I had a, I, a TJ, I, true story, I had a mullet and I permed the back. Uh, <laughs> I miss that hair, man. Uh, but one of the things about the 80s that I remember is that we were technologically deficient as compared to today. I mean, uh, Nobody had a cell Well, Zach on Saved by the Bell had a cell phone, but we don't even know who he was talking to. That was it, and it was the size of a shoe. So, so uh, for, the, for the young people that are in the house today, uh, let me just explain how it was. In all of our homes, most of the homes only had one phone, and on that phone, you're going to need to Google this later, there was something called a cord on it. And, and if you were really, like, rich, you know, you, you got one of those bungee kind of cords, you know, so that you could stretch it out and that kind of thing. So let me just draw the picture for you. It's 1980-something. I am 16 years old, and I am deeply in love. How I many of you know nobody can love like a 16-year-old kid? And, and uh, we've been dating for about six months, and I'm sitting in the living room with my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my brother, and my sister, and we are all watching TV. And in the 80s, if you were the youngest member of the family, you were the remote control, right? You're the one that has to get up and go. So, so I am the remote control, and we're having a good time. And, and all of a sudden, our phone, our one phone rings, and on the other end, now the phone sat in the kitchen, which was right next to the living room, and on the other end is my girl that I've been dating for six months. And my mom answers the phone. She giggles, and my whole family laughs. And I get on the phone, and my dad is too cheap to buy one of those, you know, bungee cords. So I can only stretch it out to about three feet. So I'm, I can't get more than six feet away from my family. And I'm trying to work it, you know, with this girl over the phone. But my family's right there. And true story, if I'm lying, I'm dying, this really happened. This girl breaks up with me over the phone. I mean, I hate you. I don't want to see you anymore. Now, y'all, she missed it, right? Uh, but but she she breaks up with me over the phone, and this really really happened. I'm I'm not lying. My mom walks over, turns off the TV, and my entire family turns towards me, because what's happening on the phone is like way more exciting than what's happening on TV, and, and uh, I can't get away because of the cord, you know. So I am. Uh, I am trying to work this out, and I'm crying, and, and, and just want this, you know, love to remain, and, and and my family is yelling out advice, you know, and it's just embarrassing, and after about 25 minutes of this torture, I hang up the phone, and I grab my car keys, and I'm just going to drive over to her house, and I'm going to work this out, and my dad steps in the way, 
He said, son, you're too messed up. You don't need to be driving. And, and, and I, I, I normally wouldn't do this, but I said, dad, I'm going anyway. And he takes my car keys from me. Now, dangerous move, I grant you, but I was messed up. I shoved my dad out of the way. And I walk out the front door, slam the door. About a block away from my house is this graveyard. It's got like this six-foot fence. But back then, man, I was not the hunk of man I am this morning. But I am, uh, you know, young, in shape, you know, running was no big deal. And so I just hop the fence, and I'm going to jog the five miles over to her house. And, And I get about 100 yards into the graveyard, and I start hearing this clanking behind me. And it's my dad. He is coming after me. And now at that point in my life, my dad's about 25 years older than me. He's about 40 pounds overweight. You know, he makes it over the fence, but just barely. And I think to myself, man, you are never going to catch me. So I just break into like a medium jog. And I look back and my dad, he is trucking, man. I mean, I don't even know where he's getting that gear from, but there's like grass flying up behind him. You know, he is making up ground. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I turn around and I go into a full aught run. And then I look back and, of course, my dad, he is losing it after about 100 yards. He doesn't have any more energy. But you could just see the desperation on his face. And I don't know, I just couldn't take it. And so I stopped and I leaned up against a tree. And my dad came up to me and he's too smart to say anything. He just wrapped his arm around me. And walked me back home, back to the place that I never should have left to begin with. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to take you to a story in the scripture that is your story and it's my story. If you find yourself, whether you're watching online or here live, if you find yourself someplace away from God, or if you ever do find yourself in that position, this is the story that will lead you back home. It's the story of our loving Father God. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11, it says this. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say, two sons. And the younger one said to his father, give me my share of my estate. And so they divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had And he set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Now for a Jewish young man, for him to go into that field was to go against every single thing that he believed. And yet he did it because he was so desperate. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, aren't you glad you can come to your senses? Amen. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, isn't it interesting, he goes from give me to make me, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. And I am so glad that no matter how far I'm away from God, he can still see me, amen. He was filled with compassion, he ran 
to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him, and the son, he starts into his speech, but the father's not even listening, man. He's, he's calling in the servants. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, he's calling in the servants, and he says, Quick, bring in the best robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring in the fatted calf and kill it. Let's feast, let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, he wasn't coming home, but now he is found. And so they began to celebrate. And I love this story so much because it is more than a story. It is what the scripture calls a parable. Now, a parable is a moment where Jesus is using extreme exaggeration or hyperbole to make a point. They typically are not true stories, but he's illustrating something about the heart of God. In Luke chapter 15, there's actually three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. It's like Jesus is saying, I cannot exaggerate to you enough how much God wants to demonstrate his love for you. I am so glad that we cannot outsell or overtell how much God loves us. Amen? And for some, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Doug, I don't really like this story because of the father analogy. And I get it. Not everybody had good earthly fathers. But can I tell you, there are some things that no earthly father can speak into your life anyway. Doesn't matter if you had the best dad, the worst dad. How many know that we need our father God? Amen. And God knows exactly where we are when it comes to your life. Did you know that God knows the mystery of your history, and yet he loves you anyway? He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last week. He knows the intention of your heart. He knows the hidden things, and yet he chooses to love us. And so the invitation here is to all the lost coins, to all the lost sheep, to all the lost sons and daughters to come home. Amen. So I don't know where you're at today, you know, in a church like this, it, it's hard to tell on a snowy Sunday morning, but I, I, I do know this, that every one of us from time to time find ourselves away from home. And if you ever find yourself in that spiritual condition, or perhaps you're there today, I think there are four things you need to remember to find your way back home, all from our text if you're taking notes. The first one is this, I want you to remember his sudden departure. The, what freaks me out about this story is that it just starts so fast. The, the, the young man approaches the father and he asks him for everything. He is filled with pride and privilege and, and disrespect and immaturity. It's like he has no vision for the possibility of where he is. He is intoxicated with the allure of change and the unknown. He has absolutely no honor for the father. He just simply approaches him without any introduction and asks him for everything. He doesn't want advice or guidance or protection. He just wants the cash. And according to our text, the father pulls out the proverbial checkbook. And gives him, according to most theologians, up to half, maybe third, but up to half of everything that he owns. Now, that freaks me out a little bit because I am an earthly father. Are there any fathers in the house today? I'm a father of three. And I can tell you, this is dad rule 101. I've, I've never been to this town before, but I can guarantee you this rule applies. I'm going to even know if your kid comes to you 
and they do not want your heart, but they want your wallet. How many of you believe they don't get anything? You understand what I'm saying? If you want my resource, but you don't want my relationship, I'll give you food and water, but that's about it. You're not getting much else, right? But according to our text, this young man, so filled with pride, so filled with disrespect, he approaches the father, asks him for everything, and the father, without discussion, just simply gives it to him. You know what this tells me? This is no earthly father, but this is a type or a representation of our father in heaven. And our father in heaven, get this, get this, will never violate the greatest gift that he has given to everybody on the planet. Do you know what it is? It it, it is your free will. Our God will not make you love him. That, That might be the greatest thing about our God, and it might be the scariest thing about our God. I, I, I love this so much, and yet it can be scary. Well, what kind of father is this? This is a father, the heavenly father. He loves you in a way that no earthly father ever could. Amen? I, I think the first time that I ever discovered that I had a free will, I don't know why you have weird memories from when you were a kid, but I, it might have been in the first grade. I, I can remember our teacher, she lined us all up, and we all got a partner, and then she gave us all a piece of chalk, and my partner was named Jimmy, and basically what you were supposed to do is the whole class would go out on the parking lot, and your partner and you would lay down, and you would trace each other, and then you could decorate that. It, it looked like somebody had murdered the whole first grade class, you know, when we were done. I don't know what they were thinking, but she handed out the chalk, and have you ever just not wanted to do something, you know what I'm saying, like, I was a good kid. I normally just go along with the plan, but she hands me the chalk, and I, I just had this streak in me, and I just handed it back to her. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't want to do it. And she said, what are you doing? She said, if you don't do it, then you, Jimmy here, he won't have a partner. He won't get to do it. I was like, I don't even like Jimmy. I don't care. And she said, well, if you don't do it, you're going to have to march over, put your nose in the corner, and you won't get to have any fun while everybody else has fun. I looked at her, and I said, where's my corner? And I walked over that corner. I love that corner. That corner was incredible. <laughs> it's that free will thing, right? I was at a camp some time ago, and a man walked up to me at the camp, and he had some type of sickness. And I don't know. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. But I, sometimes I think I just say stuff because I'm getting on a plane this afternoon. So Pastor TJ, he'll, he'll clean it up next week. But, but uh he walked up to me and he said, he said, uh, he said, I'll serve God if he heals me. And I don't know, it just hit me sideways. I didn't even know what was wrong with him. It just hit me sideways. He had so much pride, you know what I'm saying? And, and, I, and I just, before I knew it, I, 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 my finger was pointing at him and out of my mouth came these words. I said, I said, well, then God won't heal you. And he said, he said, what do you mean? I mean, he was expecting for me to placate to that, and I just couldn't do it. I, I said, then God won't heal you. And I said, I said, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says he opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. I, I, I said, he's God. You're not. You really think you're going to make demands of the creator? He said, no, no, if you want to serve God, if you want anything from God, you've got to bow the knee. You have to give up your pride. You've got to give up your free will. But the good news is he is a loving father, and he rewards us when we do that. Amen? He won't make you serve him, but you can willingly do it. Number two, 
I want you to remember not only his sudden departure, but his sad demise. The Bible says in verse 14 that he began to be in need. Other versions use words like want or inferior or lack or destitute or dissatisfied. One version even uses the word madness, like he went mad. The party started fast, but it ended hard. I mean, everybody loves you when you got money, right? But when the money runs out, man, the party's over. And what, what an amazing picture of contrast we have here. The, his, his new life was nothing like the home that he had rejected. At home, he had provision. Now he's extremely poor. At home, he is royalty. He's rich. Now he's a nobody. At home, he's got purpose and a future, and now he has no direction, and his future looks bleak. I, I, I don't know if this ever happened to you, TJ, but I have people come up to me a lot, and they'll say, Pastor Doug, you know, I, I'm going to serve God one day, but I'm just trying to find myself. Have you ever heard that? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a smart aleck, so usually I'm just like, you know, well, I, I just found you. There you are, you know. And they're like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, i got to find, like, my purpose and that kind of thing, and then I'll serve God. Well, the problem with that is that you will never find out what you're called to do by running away from the one who created you. How can you find out your identity by running away from your creator? I, I, I got to tell you, I'm the first Christian in my family. Uh, I, I, as far as I can tell, I'm one of the first Christians in my family line. Uh, I, I am certainly the first one to ever graduate from college in my immediate family. I'm the first one that, to ever fly on a plane at one point, and I, I have been all over the world. My entire family is shy, and I speak publicly for a living. How many of you believe that God knew who I was even before I knew who I was? Amen? I can promise you in a million years I would have never found my purpose by running away from the one who gave me a purpose. The very first thing you do when you get put in prison is you lose your identity. You're not a name anymore. You're a number. I don't know about you, but I want to be the name that God has called me. Amen? I, 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 uh, I had a dog about three dogs ago that wasn't a Christian. Has anybody else ever had a non-Christian dog? I, I mean, I'm trying to be funny, but uh, it's really true. Uh, he, he was an adulterer. He was a thief. Uh, he hardened his heart all the way to the end. My wife hates it when I say it, but he, he's in hell today. He, he just is. He, I, 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 he hard all the way to the end. Well, his, his name was Charlie, and, and he loved to run off. And so what would happen is he would run off, and he would go, you know, get with all the weird girl dogs in the neighborhood. And then he, and then, but he had this collar on that had, like, our phone number on it. And, and so people would call us and bring him back, unfortunately. And, and uh, uh, one day we had given him a bath, and, and he ran off, and, and he didn't have his collar on. And we got a little bit, well, Jeannie got worried. I got excited. And, and uh but somehow he still found his way home. But, but we, we were worried there for a little while. Because why? Because he wasn't just lost from a positional standpoint. See, he had lost literally his connection to his master. We know from the story that the young man was not lost from a point A to point B thing. Like he knows his way home. Where, where he was lost was he had literally lost his identity when he ran away from the father's house. One of the, one of the great reasons to come back home is only your father knows what you're called to do. Only your father can anoint you to do it. Only your father can really give you a purpose. Amen? Number three, and I'm almost done, I want you to remember his sincere determination. 
The Bible tells us that this guy is a mess and that he is standing in a mess. And yet the pig pen of his issue becomes a place of grace. Aren't you glad that God meets us right where we are? Amen. According to Ephesians 2, he finds us right in the middle of the deadness of our transgression. I love that grace meets you where you are. And the Bible says in verse 17 that all of a sudden he begins to come to his senses. And he starts to dream about home. This is what's happening to many people around the country right now. They're starting to think, man, you know what? It wasn't all that bad in my father's house. I, 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 mean, I mean, even the servants have food to spare. And I'm out here like starving to death, want to eat what pigs are eating. And it wasn't so bad. And, and he starts to dream about home. But then he makes the classic mistake. It's the same mistake that you and I make. He underestimates the grace and the love of his father. And he starts to think to himself, well, man, my dad's going to be really mad. I, I mean, I wasted his money on prostitutes, and I, I, I drug his name through the mud, and, and, and I'm not even worthy to be called his son anymore as if we are ever worthy to be called his son. And he said, man, so maybe if I, get, if I could just like live like in the bunkhouse with the servants, like to be on the edge of what I used to have will be better than what I have right now. And he doubts the love and intention of his father. Now, how many of you know that's not the way the story ends? He doesn't go to the bunkhouse. He goes to the father's house. Amen. I, I, uh, I, I think the problem that he's having is the problem that you and I have, and that is we don't really understand grace. I mean, grace is one of the hardest concepts for us to get because we, we just think we got to earn it. we got to do a little something for it, and yet you can't earn even a little bit of it. The, the best definition I've ever been able to come up with for God's grace is simply this, is that there is nothing I can do to make him love me more, and there is nothing I can do to make him love me less. He just loves me. Amen. Did you know that his love for you is not even based on you? The Bible says when you're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. His love for me is not based on my character. It's based on his character. Amen. And yet we underestimate grace. I, I love this particular sermon so much because I get to tell stories about my dad. And I actually write about this one in the book. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I'd only been a Christian for about three years. I was struggling to really accept the grace of God in my life. I was off preparing at Bible college, and I came home one summer, and uh, it was kind of a lonely summer for the first few weeks, and then some of my friends, my old friends, called me up. Uh, did anybody uh, grow up with stupid friends? You know what I'm talking about? Like, don't point or anything like that, but you, I have brilliant friends like Pastor TJ now, you know, but back in the day, I had stupid friends, and we lived down in southern Illinois, and we all thought that we were, you know, hunters and fishermen, but uh, we weren't really hunters. We just like going shooting stuff. I mean, you know, there's a difference. Yeah. I'm in Indiana, right? So you, you understand. I, I told this story in California. They didn't understand. But, but we, we would go shooting stuff. And so anyway, I was home about three weeks, and I'm preparing for Bible college. And my, my, I led my parents to Christ just in a year earlier. And, and uh, anyway, uh, I get a call from one of my stupid friends. And he said, hey, Doug, you want to go shooting stuff? And, of course, I did. And so I went, and I, underneath my bed, I had this uh, old single-shot shotgun. I was going to get out and go with my stupid friend shooting stuff. And, 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 and uh, I thought to myself, 
uh, man, my friends, my stupid friends will think I'm way cooler if I go get my dad's brand new semi-automatic 12-gauge shotgun that he's never even taken out of the box. But I'll just kind of put it together, run a few, you know, box of shells through it, and then clean it, put it back. Nobody, nobody ever know. And, and I'm feeling lonely. Has anybody else ever had a stupid thought like like this one? And and, and so so I go and I get it, and, and man, it, I'm shooting like a champ. My my friends are very very impressed, and I I don't know what happened, but somewhere in that field, I got a little bit of mud in the end of that barrel. And those old gas-operated shotguns, I don't know, I turned around to shoot something, and that barrel mushroomed back. Have you ever seen, like, a Elmer Fudd cartoon? Like, the like the barrel blew up and just mushroomed back. Thank God nobody got hurt, but my stupid friends, they were dying laughing, you know. And, and, and I'm like, you don't understand. Uh, this is not my gun. I was not supposed to have it. And, and, and my life is basically, I mean, 19 years, it was a good run, you know. I mean, it, it is over. You know, has anybody else ever had one of those drive homes like that? You know what I'm saying? Where you did something, you can't get out of it, you know, and I, I couldn't fit it in the trunk of my car, so I had to let the gun ride in the front with me, and I, I drive home, and I, I, I pull in the driveway, and my dad's truck is there, and, and, and I got two choices. I, I can go inside, and he will end my existence, or I can be a homeless kid. You know, and I, I, I really contemplated homelessness. I, I did. I, I was like, you know, free soup. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just like, you know, how bad could it be? And, 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 and so anyway, I, I get the gun, and I'm stupid. You know, I'm trying to hide it behind myself. And I walk in, and my dad's like, hey, hey what's that? And I, and I put it out in front of him, and he gets really quiet. Now, now, I, now it feels like hours. It's like 40 seconds, but it feels like hours now, I, I, I can see there's, there's a few kids in the room, and, and I should not do this, and, and so, so, you know, maybe we can stop the tape or something, but, but uh, uh, I'm going to tell you just like a, like a parenting secret, all right? I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Look, look, if you do something bad and your parents are yelling at you, you're good because they're venting, amen? They're getting it out. They're getting it all out. But if they get really quiet, they're thinking about where to hide the body. That's what's going on. So <laughs> you might want to run. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of kids running. <laughs> well, anyway, after about 40, 50 seconds, my dad looks up, and he's got this deep voice, and he's like, son, you've done some stupid things in your life, and this is one of them. And I said, yes, sir. And, and then he said, but, I wasn't expecting, you know, a but, I was expecting, and now I'm going to kill you. That's what I was expecting, you know, and, and, and uh, he says, but, he said, uh, he said, you invited me and your mom to church like a, like a year ago. He starts talking about church. Now, now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's about to call me a hypocrite. He's about to say, and now look at you, Mr. Preparing for the Ministry. That's what I think he's about to say. But he doesn't say that. He, he kind of gets teary-eyed, and that's not like my dad. And, and he looks at me, and kid you not, it's one of my favorite stories, favorite memories. My dad looks at me, and he said, I think I owe you this one. That's what he said. He said, tell you what, you're forgiven. Now, what do you want for supper? Exact words. Now, I want you to think about the awesomeness of this moment. I mean, I know you've had some awesome moments, but this is up there. You know, I am from life to or from death to life, baby. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I mean, uh, this is like all I got to say is like cheeseburgers, and my life is back. You know what I'm saying? 
but we're so stupid because we don't understand grace. And, and, and here's what I'm thinking at first. I'm thinking, well, he's already going to kill me physically, so now he's wanting to kill me emotionally as well. So he's like saying this so that I'll get hope so that he can like double kill me. That's, that's what I'm thinking. And so I'm like, come on, Dad. I mean, that's, you, you, you can tell me what my punishment is. And he said, no, there's no punishment. He said, you're forgiven. And, and, and I, start, I start like crying, and I'm so stupid that I start throwing out punishments on his behalf. I'm like, you can beat me with a stick. You can drag me around town on the back of your truck. I mean, you can, just, you can ground me forever. I'm, I'm like throwing out punishment ideas. And he's like, no, no, don't you understand, son? He says, you're, you're, you're forgiven. And then I go into the next level, and I said, well, Dad, what I'll do is I'll work all summer. Now, I'm a poor college student. This isn't going to happen. But, but I'm going to work all summer, and I will buy you a new gun. That's what I said. And he said, he, he said, look at me. He said, you can't pay for this one. He said, now, what do you want for supper? It's one of the hardest things that I've ever done is to ask my dad, <laughs> tell him what I want to eat for supper. Why? Because we underestimate God's grace. Amen? And finally, the last thing that we're done is I want you to remember his secure destination. The Bible says in verse 20 that while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he had compassion for him. The Bible tells us that this father runs. Noble men didn't run in those days, but this one does. The, the Bible tells us that he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Public affection, noblemen didn't do that either, but this one does. It's like proper has been replaced by passion and the great love of the father comes out. And right there in the field, a couple hundred yards away from the house, he does three things. You know what they were, right? The Bible says that he puts the robe on his back. Uh, theologians call that the festive robe of honor. It would be only set aside for guests. I want you to think about it. He has walked out of the pig pen, and he's covered with the muck and the mire of the pig pen. And now what is the father doing? He's covering up all that shame so that he doesn't have humiliation as he walks home. The Bible tells us that he puts sandals on his feet. You know what the sandals represent? They represent sonship. This tells us that the, he's, he's not going to the bunkhouse. He's going back to the father's house. I, I hear people sometimes they'll say, man, when I get to heaven, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch this incredible video of God parting the Red Sea or whatever. You know what video that I want to watch? I, I want to watch the first five minutes of the young man back in his bedroom. Can you imagine what that would be like? And then the Bible tells us that he puts the ring on his finger. Uh, I one time spent like a week just studying the ring. And according to the best Bible thinkers in the world, the ring would probably be a signet ring. You, you could go into town and you could dip it into ink and you could buy stuff with it. It was like the equivalent of the modern-day credit card. I want you to imagine you're a shopkeeper in town, and here comes this young man. And they're like, whoa, there he is. There's the kid. He's the one who humiliated his family and wasted his father's money. And the kid walks into the shop, and he's like, ba-bam, here's the ring. Why? He's not even home yet, and the father gives him access to the other half of the money. Wow. Uh, Pastor Doug, when I come back to God, you know, what's going to happen is, like, I'm going to have to kind of earn my way back in. It'll be a while before I really feel God's grace. Can I, can I just tell you, when you come back to the father's house, you get all the benefits. Amen. 
be a while before I feel his presence. No, no, no. The presence of the Father will be right there waiting for you. Amen? In fact, you take one step towards the Father and he'll run to you. Now, the part of the story I haven't told you about is the older brother. We, uh, we know this part because the older brother, according to most theologians, they kind of represent the religious church of the day. And the older brother gets upset. I mean, after all, the other half of the money that this kid now has access to is his, right? And he starts getting upset, and he starts saying, man, you know, he wasted your money. He humiliated the family. He slept with prostitutes. And now you're going to throw him a party? Literally, the older brother says this. He said, you've never even given me a goat. I almost called this sermon, get your own goat. Because the father's like, you want a goat? You want to have a party? Go get one. Everything I have is yours. But what you don't get is he was dead. He wasn't coming back. We got no choice. We've got to celebrate. And, and, and picture this. The father is begging the older brother slash the religious church to join in the party. The father is begging the brother to join in the party of grace. Did you know that you can never trust God to be ungraceful? Did you know that? That, that God will show grace to people that you don't even like. God will show grace to people that don't look like you, vote like you, think like you, act like you. I, I've even just stopped as far as my view of the world. I've stopped with like this country, that country. I just see them as people that our Father loves. Amen? Now, you say, Pastor Doug, okay, that's really great, but what does that have to do with me? I mean, I love God, and I'm not going to walk away from His grace. Well, here, here's the problem. The longer you hang out around grace, the, the more you start thinking like, I need grace, but they really need grace. Like, like I'm bad, but they're really bad. I mean, I need God's forgiveness, but whoa, that person. Did you know there's no sliding scales of that in heaven? I, I, I pastored a church. I, I promise I'll close here, but I, I, I pastored a church for seven years. And I'm not really built for pastoring. I traveled a lot when I was pastoring, but but I... I'm thankful for that time. And it was it was about five minutes away from Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, and, and, and God had done an amazing work there, but it was a it was a traditional kind of church that we were trying to turn into like an outreach church. And, and one day, a prayer was answered. A young man named Mark came walking into my building. And let me just describe Mark to you. He was about 35. He had just gotten out of prison, and he was tattooed from head to toe. I mean, face, feet, hands, had trust, no one on, trust on this one, no one, no one on this. Whenever you'd first meet Mark, he'd go, trust no one. He'd just flash those at you. And he literally had a picture of Satan tattooed on his chest. He literally did. He showed it to me. And uh, Mark comes walking in, and an older couple in our church had invited him. And to my surprise, man, first Sunday, he responds to the message of grace, comes down front, gives his heart to Christ, starts becoming a part of the church. And I'm just, I'm literally walking around to people being like, love Mark, love Mark, love Mark, man. Let's just love on this guy. No, he doesn't look, but let's all befriend him. And so I'm literally like assigning people to love Mark. And, and, and it's going well for about six months. And then Mark comes to me one day and he said, uh, he said, Pastor Doug, he said, uh, do you have meetings with people? And I said, I meet with people all the time. He goes, would you meet with me? I said, I'll meet with you right now. 
we got in my car and we headed over to Starbucks. We were going to have one of those $80 coffees, you know, and, 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 and uh, I'm about to get out. And Mark starts like violently crying. Now, the way this guy looked combined with the violent crying, I'm like, he's going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. I get, like, he's just going to kill me, you know. And, and he looks up at me and he said, he said, you don't know how hard it is. I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, they're judging me. I said, what do you mean? He said, your church, your church is judging me. I was like, Mark, come on, man. I said, I, I expected you to say that, but I said, it's not true, man. I, I could name 100 people that love you, and, 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 I, and I just couldn't convince them. I was losing them. I didn't know what to do. Normally, you want to leave my church, I'll give you the name of another church. But in this case, I just, I just knew Mark wasn't supposed to leave. And so I didn't know what to do, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and he said, tell him the story of the prodigal son. Start telling him the story, the father, the son, the older brother, all of it. And I get all the way done, and Mark's eyes are real big, and he said, man, that's a great story. He said, did you write that? I said, no, no, it's in the Bible, Luke 15. I said, do you want me to interpret it? He said, yeah. I said, well, you know who the father is? He said, who? I said, that's God. He loves you like that. He just loses it. I said, you know who the son is? He said, who? I said, that's you. That's you. You're the son away from home that the father loved. And, man, he just loses it. I said, you know who the older brother is? He said, who? I honestly didn't know what I was going to say. And, and, I, and I paused for probably 15 seconds, not for dramatic effect. I just didn't know what to say. And, and all of a sudden, I looked down, and almost involuntarily, the finger, my finger, was pointing at me. And I said, the older brother, oh, I, I guess it's me. Really? And I said, well, Mark, you got to understand the longer you're in church, the more you start thinking other people need grace worse than you need it. And I said, do you know why I need you to stay in my church? He said, why? I said, because we older brothers need to learn how to love younger sons. I, I, I want you to stand to your feet throughout the house today. And, and uh, we are, we're family, Amen. When I come into a church and I preach for a weekend, uh, the pastor of that church, at least for a day or two, is my pastor. So I'm under his spiritual authority. He is my pastor today. And so I'm a part of the family. Amen? And so as family, I don't know, I just feel this. Sometimes I do it differently, but I just feel this today, that no heads bowed, no eyes closed, because we don't have anything to be embarrassed of. Amen? How many of you would say either for the first time, first time in a long time, or you just kind of need it today. I need an extra dose of the grace of the Father today. Come on, if that's you throughout the house. And my hands are up. I need God's grace like I need the air I breathe. Amen? Now, now, now put your hands down. This next one will be a little harder. How many of you with me would admit that the spirit of the older brother, you don't like it, but you'd have to admit there's a little bit of that in you. Is there anybody out there that would admit with me that? That, you, you know, prejudice, most of it has nothing to do with the color of a person's skin. It's these little built-up things that we get. And I, I, don't, I felt very strongly after talking to Pastor TJ on the phone last week that I was to share this word and that this moment right here in the service would be a holy moment. And I believe it could be a game-changing moment for the future of this church. And that is this. Listen. People are smarter than we think they are. 
right now our culture has their authenticity meter turned up all the way. And they are looking for a reason to either be loved or doubt that you love them. And, and let me just say this. If you've got hidden prejudice in your heart towards a person, they will know it whether you tell them or not. So if by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit could get this out of us and that we could bow our knee to the grace of God and finally say once and for all, if not for Jesus, that's me, man. If not for Jesus, I'm the one that's on the street. If not for Jesus, I'm the one that I'm judging. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and if this church in this community could become a house like that, where they say, listen, <coughs> you've been rejected, go over there to that worship center church, man. Get over there. Get over there to Cornerstone because they love people like nobody else. Amen. I can promise you one service won't be enough if you do that. I can promise you that actually this property is probably not big enough to receive everybody that wants love. Amen. But we've got to come to the foot of the cross and get real with our God once and for all. Amen. So let's pray two prayers together. Let's pray them out loud. Dear Jesus, come on, pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You did that for me. So today I give you my heart. I give you my life, fresh and new, in Jesus' name. Father, I give you every ounce of prejudice. All that judgment. I don't even know where it comes from. But I give it to you. And I say whatever it takes. Get the spirit of the older brother out of me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray over this church. And I ask that a new day, a new day of love, of grace, of evangelism would come that 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 is even beyond what's in the heart of their leadership. It's even bigger than what we could dream. We believe you, God, that this house will be a house of grace in Jesus' name.